learning through stories. Hey everybody, Ben here. If you've been paying attention to the rhythm of the podcast, you'd expect that this week we would have a guest. No guest today though, you're stuck with me. As promised last week, I've been listening and learning from what's going on with respect to the anti-black racism movement. While this movement started in Minneapolis, a city I've spent a lot of time in, it spread around the globe and commands the attention of the world. I shared a video this week discussing my reflection, so I won't recap that, but I'll remind you that I promised that I would not be silent, that I'd be an active learner and participant in driving improvement in any way that I can. This week, I think that means helping to share what I've been hearing and learning to allow others to see things that they may not have seen. Remember that agility we talked about last week? We're going to put that to use this week and take a break from our regularly scheduled podcast focus. Don't worry, we'll get to resiliency as that's a huge topic and it's not going to go away. But we're going to spend time over the coming weeks talking openly about racism and equality. Today I want to use an approach that we used in the episode, Things We Learned From Camp. Yes, you should go back and listen to that. And share some real stories from real people. Over the past few years, during Jacob's Inclusion Week, I've hosted open discussions on inclusion. These have taken place in a number of different offices with different groups of people. We talk about experiences and look at things we could do to continue to improve. I always kick the meetings off with the same statement, that while we're certainly diverse, I do not believe that we've become actually inclusive yet. I was shocked in the first of these meetings when this statement was met with a fierce argument from one of our senior people in the group. She felt that I had it all wrong, but she was willing to listen and maybe be convinced. With the power of her coworker stories, I believe her mind was changed. In this podcast, I'll share three people's stories, some from these very sessions and some from other parts of my career. I've changed all the names and locations to protect the innocent. I hope that you'll take the time to listen with an open mind, put yourself into the situation, and imagine what you would do if you were there. You may even realize that you were witness to something you hadn't even noticed at the time. This recognition is important if we're all going to get better at combating racism in the future. Learn from others and consider how you can help. If you take one thing away from today, the time will be worth it. Story number one. I've been there. Kieran is a graduate engineer, just starting out with a major oil company. He was in the top of his class at an elite engineering school and had his choice of many options of employers. He comes from South Asia and still has family there. Gord is the VP of operations that runs the portion of the company that Kieran is joining. He's the most senior person in this particular operation. He's white. There's a tradition in this company for engaging new hires. Within the first month after the new grads start, a dinner is hosted by the senior executive in the location. All of the grads from that year are invited, as are the top leaders. This is a venue where relationships are formed, many of them turning into sponsorship or mentoring-type relationships that can last through a long and successful career with the company. For the leaders participating, it is yet another business dinner, but one that has the fun angle of getting to know the new team members and hopefully learning more about them so they can be helpful in setting them up for success. For Kieran, the event looms over him for the first three weeks in the new job. He's been going through the shock of joining a company and having to get used to the new acronyms and nuances of terms and the rhythm of how they operate. He hasn't had a lot of time to meet people beyond those he interviewed with or works with day to day. He's ambitious and capable. He knows that first impressions are important, 
and he wants this to go well to bring his best self. Kieran arrives at Gord's house for the dinner and is enjoying himself as he's getting to interact with some of the folks he'd already met and many he had heard about but hadn't yet had the chance to meet. He loved this opportunity and really appreciated that the company and these busy people would put the effort into making this happen. As the evening progresses, Gord has had a few drinks and finds himself in conversation with Kieran. Over the course of the conversation, Kieran shares where he's from. Gord expresses great surprise at how well-spoken and intelligent Kieran is, given where he grew up. You see, Gord has been there as part of his past business assignments. He asks Kieran if he's glad to be out of that, and I quote, shithole. That he couldn't stand being there for work, and he couldn't imagine living there. Kieran must be so grateful to be in Canada and to have been educated here. Through the course of dinner, Gord points out to the table Kieran's hometown and repeatedly points out that he has been there and it's terrible, as well as how amazing it must be for Kieran to be in Canada. Kieran manages to keep it together from the shock of the situation. He's hurt, disappointed, and even a bit scared for his career. He feels trapped. He still has family back home that he visits regularly. He's fond of where he came from and carries on many of the cultural traditions, regardless of where he lives. He's far from ashamed of his heritage. But there's no way he's going to share this with Gord. This is a turning point. Kieran decides that he's going to need to be something that he is not to be successful here. He feels the pressure to whitewash his past, to make it match what these managers must expect of him. He doesn't recognize it at the time, but he starts to create a story of his past that meets what he thinks these influential people want to hear. The impact on Kieran from this event is something that will stick with him for his whole career. He feels a pressure to be something that he's not, and that if he's his true self, the company won't like it. He never really feels comfortable being himself or sharing his background, as it feels as though this will damage his career permanently. A few years down the road, Kieran leaves the company, and while he's learned a lot, he doesn't miss those feelings. There's one chance to get first impressions right, and Gord missed the opportunity of a lifetime here. If you were in this situation, what would you have done differently? Would you have asked Kieran about his journey? Would you have asked into his family and let him tell you how often he visits? How about highlighting the things you liked about his hometown? Would you have been able to visualize the advantages that he has, given that he's from a different culture, and help him see that and bring that out? Could you have been brave enough to let Kieran teach you something new? If you were there, and you overheard that initial conversation, would you have turned it in a different direction? Would you have shown Kieran something different in the leaders of this organization, even if it meant putting yourself at odds with Gore? Could you have been a good ally and taken on the burden of confronting the situation, even one-on-one -on -one with Gord after the fact? At dinner, part of the problem is that the group allows the bad behavior to continue. This cements the concept that this is the cultural norm, accepted by all, and that it's Kieran that has to change. Would you have found a way to show support to Kieran? Could you have made eye contact and let him know you were not okay with this? Could you have spoken up in a different way to change the conversation to embrace his background? Could you have followed up with him afterwards to make sure he was alright? If Gord had taken a different tact, or if others had been there to help, Kieran could have been bringing his whole self to work. The group, the company, and most importantly Kieran would have benefited from something better than he ever received. Did you notice the comment from Gord? where he stated that he was surprised Kieran was so well-spoken and intelligent. This gets echoed when people make comments like, 
He's so good looking for a black man. These statements are only a compliment if you remove the 4A, insert item here, portion. This points out the bias that still exists around race. Do you automatically assume that someone falls into a category based on how they look? Are you self-aware enough to know your own bias, recognize it, stow it away, and use an open mind? This kind of statement gets made all the time. Start listening for them, and maybe you can change the tone and intervene. I feel a real connection to this story, as I started my career in a company that had a similar practice. It was different for me than it was for Kieran. It was highly political, but never personal or racial like he endured. But I still remember how it felt getting ready for and arriving at my company's event. It was a huge deal. I can't imagine how Kieran felt leaving this dinner, reassessing his entire persona, instead of being proud of where he was, where he came from, and where he was going. Like I had been. Story number two. What are you? Think back to when you first started your career. Imagine that young, hopeful you, with so much ahead, and all of the career aspirations and dreams when you join a firm that's stacked with industry talent. You feel special to be a part of it, and you feel like this experience will catapult you into the future that you had always hoped for. This story is Aaron's story, a young woman at this very point of her career. She's a highways engineer working in the largest office of an infrastructure design firm. She's been working inside this engineering firm for a year or so. She has friends in the office and mentors and coaches within her technical area. She's volunteered to take on a leadership role in the Young Professionals Affinity Group. She feels comfortable and excited for the future, and it seems even more exciting when she gets a chance to meet one of the senior leaders in the business. Dave is the division manager for the firm. He has 30 years' experience in the industry, and he's well-respected by the group. In this meeting, Aaron will get a chance to share what the Affinity Group has been working on and get to know Dave a bit, which is pretty cool for someone this early in their career. As she waits in the meeting room for him to arrive, she's a bit nervous as to what he'll be like. Will he like me? Will he appreciate the work we're doing and support the next steps? I'm sure we all remember that feeling. It still happens to us sometimes. Once Dave arrives, 15 minutes late, they start getting to know each other, chatting about life, family, the city. He sits back casually and asks her, What are you? I forgot to mention, Aaron's biracial and a visible minority. She's stunned by the question, but this isn't the first time she's experienced a difficult conversation about race. She still remembers being three years old and another kid telling her that he wouldn't play with her because she looked different than he did. You see, his mom had told him he wasn't to play with kids that had a different appearance from his own. This all preceded the talk with her mom about race. Aaron expected more in the workplace. And as a result, this shocked her to her core. She answers by telling him that she's of half Indian descent from her mother's side. The conversation carries on from there, but Dave is oblivious to what he's just done. Aaron leaves the meeting feeling okay about all of the work stuff. The question from Dave has really hurt her, though. How do you answer that question of, what are you? A question that's been out there for her, her entire life. But she never imagined it would be a topic at work. She has a familiar feeling in her stomach. Being biracial, she feels like she's not Indian enough for the Indian community, 
and not white enough to be white. She feels that she must either defend her culture and background, or needs to be more white, as the expectations seem to be there that she's something more like those in their leadership team. What do they want me to be? She thinks. Time goes on, and a while later, Aaron is in the staff kitchen getting a coffee. There are a few other people in the kitchen, one person doing dishes, a friend of hers making tea, and a few people having a quiet conversation about a recent hockey game. She's about to head back to her desk when she runs into Alan, one of the more senior people in the office. Well, she thought so anyway. He's a white guy, with gray hair. So he must be, right? Alan greets her, and they talk briefly about where she went to school. Turns out he went to the same school. Then she's shocked again as he asks her, Feather or Dot? This isn't quiet. This isn't a joke. She is stunned. While the statement's loud enough to be heard, nobody reacts. Aaron's friend is a white woman, and may not have ever witnessed something this overt before. She's also a junior, so she may have fears about a confrontation impacting her career. There isn't much explanation for the other folks in the kitchen. They may raise their gaze, but they carry on with what they're doing. Clearly, the hockey score takes precedent over this conversation. What does she do? This guy is clearly high up. Can she say something directly and still expect the things for her career that she really wants? This feels pretty helpless for Aaron, so she plays safe. She stays quiet, answering the question. She's sick to her stomach as she walks back to her desk, having a mental debate about what this means, and can she do anything about it? She decides that this must be normal. She needs to get over this, to get used to this thing and create a thick skin, as they say. She needs to be able to hide the feelings of hurt, try to avoid feeling belittled or small, and keep moving on. She can't hide her skin color, but maybe she can act more white? Let's take a step back and look at this story. First, the interaction with Dave. Is there a better way for a curious leader to get to know more about someone's background? Could Dave have asked Aaron to tell him about herself and shown real interest in what was important enough for her to share? I'm not intending to tell you what to do in this podcast, as every situation is different, and I hope to create more room for you to consider things for yourself rather than instructions. But I'll make an exception here. Please don't ask someone, what are you? Ever. There isn't an outcome where this is positive for that person that you're asking. A different approach by Dave could have felt positive for Aaron. It could have created new confidence and willingness to bring her whole self into their future interactions, and maybe those with others. In the kitchen, again we have some very poorly chosen words, perhaps intentionally inflammatory, or perhaps due to an inherent bias that the man hasn't come to realize, isn't okay. What would you have done if you were in that kitchen with Aaron? Would you have joined the conversation to show her support? Would you have been willing to directly address how inappropriate that question was? Would you have followed up with Aaron afterwards to ensure she was okay and help her know that that isn't acceptable and that this is not something acceptable in the firm or in the world? Would you have spoken to Alan alone to point out the inappropriate nature of his question? not to mention how he asked it, maybe helping him see something that he couldn't see without you intervening? Could you have been a good ally? Are you aware enough to see those situations when they're more subtle so that you can intervene? I think we all have some work to do on this. As it happened, 
This young lady was left believing that this was just how it was, that the people around her clearly accepted and condoned what had happened, that she should endure this regularly in her working life if she wanted the career that she had dreamt of. I don't imagine many of us with white skin have ever felt like we needed to defend our skin tone. And these interactions don't just fade away. I skipped by it fairly quickly there. But did you notice that Erin actually remembers an event from when she was three years old? This wasn't a touching family moment or something equally cool. It was her first memory of a racist interaction, and it's clear as day today. What do you remember from being three? I don't remember anything. Doesn't that say something? Erin had barely started her career and was already spending energy worrying about and preparing for these personal interactions when she should have had all of her focus on learning her craft and growing her skills. I happen to know that Erin's incredibly successful today. Imagine if she had all of that energy focused on her development. Story number three. Who do they think I am? This is Mark's story. Mark is a black man. He's also a project manager in the infrastructure design industry. He has 15 years of experience at the time that this story takes place. Beginning his career in his home country of Barbados, Mark was able to amass a significant amount of experience pretty quickly. He worked for a small firm that served a number of the neighboring islands, like many other smaller operations, the motivated and capable got involved in a lot of things pretty quickly. He was doing great in his career. Today's challenge was that he and his wife had decided they wanted to make a move to Canada. Mark began applying for roles in larger engineering firms, hoping for an opportunity in the Canadian business. The area that Mark lives in at this time doesn't have telephones. He's out playing soccer with his friends, and it's hot. This is the Caribbean, after all. And the guys always play soccer shirtless and shoeless, mid-game. Up walks a white man dressed for business, who had tracked him down by showing up at his family's house. It appears that he's getting an interview, but this isn't how Mark wants things to start. He's not happy that the first impression that this hiring manager will have of him is shirtless and shoeless playing soccer at the neighborhood field. Will this shape his opinion for the duration of their relationship? Will he see Mark as something other than the smart, experienced project manager that he's proven to be? Mark gets the job. He immigrates to Canada and experiences a major culture shock. His home country has a predominantly black population. When he arrives in his new city, he's the clear minority. Being in the new country feels different. The city he's now living in is predominantly white. Mark finds himself hyper-aware of the situations where he may be alone with someone, particularly white women. For example, he would ensure he went into an elevator ahead of a white woman, so she wouldn't assume he was following her. Or he would take a different path to the park if he found himself walking behind a white woman. These kind of examples are all around him, and it's hard. Beyond how it feels in the streets, he's the only black professional in the office. Early days in the new job, Mark arrives for his first meeting ahead of the scheduled time. As people arrive to join him, some of his co-workers that he hasn't yet met assume he's there to perform maintenance or clean the room. He's asked directly if he's fixing the air conditioning unit or if something's gone wrong. Nobody's making the assumption that he's there to run that kickoff meeting for the project. People have made a judgment based on what they see, not who he is or what he brings to the table. He didn't even get a chance to show them. There's nothing wrong with the other professions that people assume Mark does, but he's worked hard to get to this point in his career, 
He's a proud and capable leader. This stings. He was somewhat prepared for the differences in the city, but thought his work would be consistent as he'd be surrounded by intelligent and professional people. He feels self-doubt and hurt, though not for the first time in his life. This was fresh. As a result, it wasn't his strongest performance running a kickoff meeting, and he vows never to let that happen again, to never show what he's decided is a weakness. To avoid confusion, he begins to craft up a practice where he's always dressed a little more formally than the norm. He doesn't realize it, but he starts to suppress a part of himself so that he can fit into what he thinks people expect. He continues the hard work of establishing the spectacular reputation that he has today. This takes a lot more effort than it should. He feels like he must outdo everyone just to be considered, that a single mistake will mean he's going home. He continually feels as he did on the field that day, or in the meeting room in the first few weeks, feeling like the initial assumption is always that he could never be the senior, most experienced person in the room. He ends up putting a lot of energy into this that could have taken him further if the playing field had ever felt level. Looking back on this story, I don't think Mark would be alone in hating the idea of meeting a potential employer while out having fun with your friends. We would all share that feeling, but there is something else in there when race becomes involved. Mark immediately puts more pressure on himself as his new, white manager has only seen him shirtless and shoeless playing on a dirt field. Moving to Mark's experience in the meeting room, has this ever happened to you? Earlier in my career, I had been asked to take on a project in a location I had never been to. This project was in trouble, and I began participating in meetings as soon as I landed. We didn't have the ability to be virtual then. In the first meeting, I was asked how I could know anything. I was called a young whippersnapper, assumed to be a summer student by a senior technologist. This felt terrible. It was embarrassing. But to put it in perspective, I looked young. This wasn't based on the color of my skin. When you encounter someone new, do you enter with a fully open mind? Are you aware of your own bias? Can you keep it in check? I would guess that other people from that meeting don't even remember it. Over a decade later, this is crystal clear in Mark's mind. Another reminder that this is deeply personal and often subtle, but it always sticks around. Take a moment to consider the cumulative impact of each of the interactions on Mark. Over time, he's created a work self, maybe even an out-in-public self, that is serious, well-dressed, and professional, but that is only a fraction of who he actually is as a leader and as a person. They call this identity covering or code switching. Environments that provide these persistent inputs force people into feeling that they need to be something different in order to survive, never mind thrive. Are there things that you can do to raise your awareness in these situations? Could Mark's leaders have engaged him openly, asking about his life, his family, the things that make him smile? Could they have made it exciting to share his real self in the office? I think they could have, and they would have had a spectacular result. We've heard the sensation shared a few times about feeling a need to be perfect just to get to the table. In his series of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, Emmanuel Acho describes this feeling in a way most of us could relate to. Imagine being in a running race, and you only get to start after your opponent is hundreds of meters ahead of you. Just because both people are free to run at a certain point doesn't mean that that race is fair. Acho says, and I quote, White privilege is having a head start due to hundreds and hundreds of years of systematic and systemic racism. 
It's having a head start intrinsically built into your life. This does not mean that your life hasn't been hard. It means your skin color hasn't made it harder. The feeling of always working from behind takes away from what could be if things were equal. What can we do to create true equality in our teams, in our offices, and in our communities? Today we've covered stories from various timelines in people's careers. It's clear to me that the impact of racism is lasting and is immune to professional maturity. This happens to folks that are junior, all the way up to the most educated and experienced people that we know. It doesn't hurt any less, and the impact is terrible. Personally, I'm motivated by what I heard when these stories were shared with me. I know each of the real people behind these stories well. I'm proud to consider them colleagues, mentors, and above all, friends. I care about them, and it broke my heart to hear that, yes, people are still experiencing these things today. The reason I'm motivated is that I know we can make a difference if we choose to engage. For our discussion today, I wanted to stick to stories that have been shared with me directly. I've heard similar experiences in the Courageous Conversations groups focused on anti-black racism within the company. If you have a story that you think could help people, please reach out. We'll figure out how we can make an impact together. Many of you are from places outside of the U.S., and it's easy to live in a place like Canada or the U.K. and think that this isn't taking place here that the U.S. has a problem, but we're okay. Nothing could be further from the truth. As you've heard, racism takes on many forms, from the overt to the very subtle. Regardless of form, it's damaging to the people involved and leaves a lasting legacy of pain in our society. We cannot go back in time and change history, but we do have the ability to shape the future. We need to learn the lessons from the past, must continue to learn and grow, so that we can each take action in driving lasting improvement together.